What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome back, everyone, to yet another episode of the podcast. I am alone today. Lucas and Uriah are out, unfortunately, but I do have a very special guest. He has been with us before. It is Dan Volpone of Liberty Ballers, also a co-host of the Gastro Enteritis Blues podcast. Dan, glad to have you back. How are you doing? Yeah, glad to glad to be back. I'm doing good. The Sixers are, have won five in a row, so I really can't complain about anything. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, I don't think what we all expected coming into the season. Um, we're recording directly after the Pistons game on Thursday night. That was a 109-98 to victory for Philadelphia, despite missing three starters and multiple bench players. They had nine available players tonight. Uh, four of those guys were backup bigs, so not an ideal setup, but they still pulled out the victory. Uh, 23 points for Seth Curry, 20 points for Maxi, who played 45 minutes, 19-9 uh, for Joel. Dan, who were some of the players who stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... You know, the two you said off the top, Maxi and Curry, were both really, really good. Um, and and I think Maxi kind of started off and, and, you know, I think it was a tough transition to all of a sudden, you know, you're the starting point guard on a team that's used to having a guy who's been an all-star the last three years at that spot. But he's looked so much more comfortable. It's his 21st birthday. Happy birthday, Tyrese. Um, Love that he took four threes today. Uh, he was two for four from three. I always wanted to shoot him, so that was good to see. Um, and then Curry was great. I mean, he also I before I move on from Maxi, I should point out that he played 45 minutes tonight, which unbelievable. And he played um, his tail off the whole time. Oh yeah, he was like diving was like, on the floor in the fourth quarter when we were up 10. Yeah, yeah, he was he was awesome. Uh, Curry, you know, took eight threes, made half of them. I, he's hunting his shots so much more this year, which I love. Um, and and Shake has been good all year. Shake ended the year horrible last year, and it's been really good. Uh, I, I don't want to list the whole team, but like Nyang and, and Drummond off the bench have like continued to be really really good. It's it's been fun. Um, you know, I I took a week off from watching the team after that Brooklyn loss because I was like, I've seen this loss a million times. I saw it in the Hawks series like three different times. Um, and I was like, 
<laughs> is this going to be what this season is like? Just like blowing leads the whole first quarter. But all these guys have stepped up and the new guys have surprised. And like, it's just been fun. And like you, like you said, nine guys were available and five of them stood out to me as having like really good nights for them. So I, it's been great. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of remarkable. I think there's a lot of doom and gloom after that Brooklyn game coming into the season, obviously with Ben not being traded yet. Uh, Joel just has not played well so far, and they're still about to be, as you said, assuming this Miami score holds in the next five minutes, which it will, because they're down by 24 right now as we're recording. They're going to be first place in the East, um, like a 10 into the season. And it's only eight games, but that's, again, that's a tenth of the season. That's not nothing. It's a pretty remarkable start. Um, five in a row, as you said. Uh, Shake is a guy that I kind of railed on all summer. Like, he was really bad for most of the last season. Um, was really good today. Seems to have improved. He took five threes, made a couple of them. He's hunting his shot more and, and taking better shots, and he looks much improved as a playmaker. And frankly, like a defender, that that might have been the matchup because he was like basically guarding wings, which is probably more his position. But like like really good shake game, as you said. Um, you know, Thibel continues to do what he does on defense. The the offense is a bit I don't know concerning at this point. I I think he's the one guy this season who like has taken like a clear jump in one direction, which is kind yeah. of been. A bummer, but he's still like one of the best defenders on the planet, so it's hard to complain too much. Um, yeah, he's I mean, he's at the point where it's like you know you're not expecting a lot from him on offense. You're not investing a lot into him as a player in terms of salaries. Um and when we get to the playoffs, maybe he won't play every game or won't play a lot every game at least. You know, at the very some games he might be more situational than like a regular part of the rotation. Um but he's clearly impacting the game defensively when he's in he you know he might not be as like technically perfect as ben is at times but he's also more impactful depending on who he's on because he's making more things happen defensively like he might not be depending on again depending on who he's on you know he might not be forcing as many you know missed shots or non-shots but he'll also block the ball from 20 feet away, it seems like, and gets steals that no one else would get. And he's he makes things happen. And and I think in his own way, when you think of like a, a spark off the bench, which Matisse will be off the bench when everyone comes back, like you usually think of like, you know, Jordan Clarkson comes to mind, right? Like sixth man of the year last year, great offensive player, not a lot of defense. I think Matisse gives you a bit of a spark just when he comes in and is getting his hands on everything on defense. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like, minute for minute, there's a pretty strong argument that he's the best, most impactful, however you want to say it, like, perimeter defender in the NBA. He's he's pretty insane. Um, had three blocks in this game, played 30 minutes, was in the starting five by necessity. Um, but, I mean, like you said, just a really strong all-around effort. We can go back to the Chicago game, too, on Wednesday. This Detroit game, notably... Second night of a back-to-back on the road. They had to fly out there, eight players, and they competed really hard. Like you said, Maxi was diving on the floor in the fourth quarter. Joel was taking hits all game. Niang was competing his butt off. And they it's just a really impressive win, even against the Pistons, who are god-awful. Um, 
<laughs> just for a second, like, like obviously the ankle injury, he's going to be fine. But Cade looks extremely rough. Um, it, it's really just Jeremy Grant against the world right now, and that, that's not a good team. But, yeah, really impressive win. Uh, Chicago, another impressive win. That was a team that, until, like, today, was ahead of the Sixers in the standings. Um 103-98 was the score of that game. We saw Seth hit some big shots down the stretch. Had 23 against the Bulls as well, I believe, or was it 22? He had uh, 22. 22. But another really strong Seth game, another sort of iffy Joel game, and a really big one against a pretty much a marquee opponent at this point. What were some of your takeaways from that game, Dan? Yeah, I mean... It, another just kind of fun game where you got a lot from a lot of guys. Like uh, I think, you know, George Yang was was really really good. Um, he was four of eight from three, and uh, I want to say was it it wasn't that game. Um, I think it was Monday. He, but it's just every game it feels like he's stepped up. Um, uh, I don't think it was. I think it was Monday night where he had uh, a few N ones and. Um, that, and, and that was against Portland. But, um, yeah, Yang good again. Like you said, Joel struggled again. But another really good Curry game. Uh, Low-scoring game. Like, you didn't get a ton from a lot of guys. Uh, Curry was the only player in the 20s for the Sixers. And the Bulls had Levine, 27. Didn't really play that well. But Matisse did a really good job on Zach Levine. He had 27 points on 24 shots. And they were some tough shots. It's not like he was just missing shots. DeRozan had 37, which, I mean, DeRozan's, DeRozan's really good. That's not great to, sometimes he's just going to get hot. And he's been, you know, I think he's the, actually the leading scorer in the NBA across fourth quarters this year. So uh, he's been he's been really good. He looks like he, you know, still definitely has has it. Looks like he's, kind of looks like he did in Toronto, uh, at least in that game. I haven't seen much of the Bulls besides the, the Sixers game, although we'll see him next game. But um for the Sixers to overcome, what is that, 64 points from the two of them, uh, and really, I, I like, kind of control the game. Like, I, I saw people on Twitter saying, like, you know, oh, this is a good start for the Sixers. They probably won't hang on because they're not healthy, uh, because Tobias was out, Danny Green was out. Um, but they they really did never let that league go. They They tied it up at one point, the Bulls did, in the second half, but... Right away, the Sixers then pulled back ahead, uh, and it was a game that I think most people didn't expect to see them like be able to keep control over the whole time. And I think it speaks to to you know I don't you know whether it's it's I, I think Doc deserves some credit, Joel deserves some credit with everything that's going on with this team that they're able to be you know pretty tough and and against a team that people thought at the strength the Sixers were at would have been better than them just hold on and. And just kind of look like the better team throughout and and not have a have a lapse where that wasn't true. Yeah. I mean, again, you mentioned it down three starters in this one as well. Joel struggled from the field, had 18 on 18 shots, but led the team assist with seven and played great defense, which he's been doing all season. Like the offense hasn't been there, but he's on track for maybe his best defensive season so far. Um, as far as like defensive player of the year, front runners go eight games in. Nine games in, he's at the top of the list right now. Um, so he's been bringing it in other areas. Um, Matisse played 38 in this one, as you said, did a great job on Zach Levine. 
I mean, it's just really hard to complain. Um, you can, like, chalk some of it up to hot shooting. Like, the Sixers' three-point shooting is going to regress at some point. Curry isn't going to shoot 54% from three all season, I think. But, I mean, these are just really impressive wins. It's hard to be pessimistic about it. Not that the Sixers won't, like, stab us in the gut at some point. But right now, it's it's pretty fun stuff. So... Not not really a ton to complain about. <laughs> no, not at all. That said, though we have mentioned the injuries, um, Tobias is probably going to miss at least a couple more games. Um, he's out with COVID right now. It was reported that he is symptomatic, that he is not, you know, one of the guys who is just kind of shaking it off, which is unfortunate to hear. Um, Danny Green is out with hamstring soreness right now. We've been talking all season if one guy hasn't looked quite himself it's been danny um, obviously he's getting up there in age so that's a pretty big concern hamstrings are tricky um, tricky injuries to deal with Furkan missed tonight against detroit with a wrist injury isaiah joe is now out with covid um, a pretty long injury list that is kind of racking up here dan joel with his knee stuff that's been going on all year are you concerned i mean again five game win streak seven and two but do you think it's going to catch up to them here at some point? I'm I'm concerned about Joel in the same way I always am, which is like, I know he's going to get banged up, and I know that he's not going to rest when he is, and I worry that it's going to catch up to him at the end of the year. Like, it always seems to have, like, basically every year it seems to have. Um, but besides that, if we're talking about the guys out, I'm not really concerned. I think Danny Green is the most concerning just because, you know, he is getting a bit older and has seemed to have, you know, a bit of an uptick in injury issues going back to the end of last season. Um, but, I mean, you know, Tobias and, and Isaiah Joe getting COVID, I, we know Tobias was vaccinated because it was said quite a few times. Um, I haven't heard anything to suggest Isaiah Joe wasn't. So, um, I mean, you hate to see that it's going around the team. Hopefully Tobias is okay. Um but I, I don't think it's something that you can count on this being a sign that it'll happen again later. Um, and Furkan hasn't been injured much in his career. Um, and he's, you know, it's a risk. So hopefully that doesn't affect, affect, the, fact that he's been, affect the fact that he's been shooting the ball really, really well uh, to start the year, especially in the fourth quarter. He's been unbelievable. But, um, you know, no, I'm not overly concerned. And my, like I said, my main concern would be overdoing it with Joel, uh, which I think is something you just have to accept at this point because he's not going to miss these games. He doesn't want to miss these games. Um, but for the rest of the guys, I think, you know, for the most part, I don't worry about this being like a recurring thing. And, and nothing seems too major. It sounds like Danny might miss a little bit of time, but it's not like a major, major hamstring injury. And Tobias is going to miss time just because he's he's sick. But, you know, it's an illness, not an injury. Hopefully he can recover well. We saw, you know, some guys like Jason Tatum seem to take some time to really shake off COVID. Uh, and I hope Tobias comes back okay. But, um, but I do think that this is not indicative of how the entire season will be. Yeah, I agree. Um, obviously, I, I think Danny's still pretty useful when he's out there, but he's probably the player that Philly can replace, I guess, most easily in the starting five. Obviously, you want him out there. You want him healthy. But Tobias, I agree. I'm 
I'm not too concerned long term. Um, you know, once he's back, he'll be back. He has not, knock on wood, had many injury problems in the past. He's a pretty durable player. Um, yeah, I think Joel's the big concern. Just hasn't looked himself offensively at all this season. I, the knee injury seems to be sort of in the rearview mirror at this point. He's moving a lot better than he was, say, in the Brooklyn game. But, um, yeah, just long term, he probably should have sat a couple games already that he just hasn't sat yet. Um, I, I feel like most of that's kind of his decision at this point. Um, we obviously don't know that. You know, they need him tonight because they only have eight players. But it, it's certainly not ideal. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. I, like you said, he really has not been fully healthy for an entire postseason yet. Um, so it's a concern. I, I think that's the big one that's going to loom over the team all season, as it does every season. But, yeah, I mean, the bench is as good as it's ever been with Joel. I think that's the big thing. We're going to talk about it here. Niang, Drummond have both pretty ex- like far exceeded expectations so far. They seem more capable now than ever of handling absences. They've been handling Ben's absence all season so far. That's one all-star that's just not there. They're missing Tobias now, and they haven't missed the beat. Um, so what have, what, what's been your impression so far of the bench unit? Dan, do you think this success is sustainable? Niang, again, is shooting like 45% from three so far. This is a guy who was like the 10th, 11th guy in Utah, played like 15, 16 minutes a night. It was not a big part of what they were doing there. Obviously, the Jazz are a very deep team, but he looks like arguably their most important bench piece right now in Philly. What's been your impression there? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier there will, of course, be some shooting, uh, some shooting regression as there always is, as there was last season. You know, the Sixers started red hot last year shooting the ball, and that did come back down to earth a little bit. Uh, not, but they were still the one seed last year, and and I think this is nothing but a positive sign. I don't look at this and say like, well, if these guys were missing their shots, we would be looking terrible right now. Um, and I'll even say, you know, I, I was pretty skeptical of the changes they made coming in because you have, um, you know, Drummond replacing Howard and Yang replacing Scott. And it's like, OK, these are both definitely upgrades, but these aren't, you know, incredible players. And the other two weren't, you know, great pieces of a playoff team by any stretch. And, you know, then you have the fact that Ben is still on the roster but not playing and I wasn't feeling all that good about the offseason. And I was pretty critical yeah. of Daryl. And I still am to some degree because I, I'm, and we can talk about this later, I'm really not a fan of how the bench situation's been handled. But that's kind of a different topic. With how the bench looks, I do think it's sustainable. And they've looked fantastic. Yang has been a great, great pickup. And I don't mean to, like, bash Mike Scott. I mean, everyone seems to like him and, and, he had a bad year, and none of this is anything groundbreaking. Um, but Yang is such an upgrade in, in every way. Like, like at the things that that position is supposed to be good at, like that that guy off the bench who is going to like play the four and shoot threes and play defense. Well, he's better, way better at shooting threes, way better at playing defense, and he can also do every just everything else better. Um, Drummond, I love Dwight Howard. Um, I really enjoyed him being here. Um, I think Drummond is kind of proof that Dwight Howard's player type was not the problem, right? Like Drummond is a much better player than Dwight Howard is, and he's been 
really, really good. Um, but, you know, I think there was a lot of last year of people wanting to see just any stretch five get in here, like Mike Muscala, Nemanja Bielica. And, and these are really not very good players besides the fact that, you know, Bielica might shoot in the 40s from three. Muscala is going to shoot like 35. Um, and they're not going to give you a ton else. And I, I think that the things Dwight gave, and again, he's not as good as Drummond is, and Drummond's been even better. But so, you know, talking about what Drummond's giving you, where he's giving you the rebounding and, you know, he's giving you the the rim protection. He looks good on defense in a way that I don't think we've even really seen from him back when he was at his peak. And, you know, he surprised me with how well he passes the ball. Like, I'm so glad the Sixers brought in a center who can do just a lot of things and do the things you want from a center and not say, well, like, who's going to stand in the corner and be able to shoot, like, almost league average from three? Like, I was not interested in that kind of player. I didn't think that was what we should be shooting for. And I Drummond has just been exactly what I was hoping for. And I'm so glad we were able to get him on, on such a team-friendly deal. And, yeah, I mean, it, the bench is deep. Like, it, those two have been the stars, but... Um, well, I guess, you know, if, if when Furkan comes off the bench, Furkan's been one of the stars, too. He was, you know, I think before he missed this game, like third in the NBA in fourth quarter points. I think Lauren Rosen tweeted that out before the game. Uh, he's just dominating in the fourth quarter. And we talked about how Shake looks a lot better right now. So I, I do. Shake started hot last year, too. But I think there's a, there's a lot of promising with this group. Yeah, I mean, before the season, we every year at the site we do like our player rankings where we average everyone's list together. I think Niang was tenth. If we redo that now, I'm he's like what six, five, six, seven. Like I yeah, I, he's not big. Yeah, I mean he's been truly incredible. Um, like the playmaking, I think has come out of nowhere a little bit. Like he's just a really solid passer, a guy who can kind of like beat closeouts and do things that I don't think anyone really anticipated him doing. The defense has been a lot better than I anticipated. And as you said with Drummond, he's been like a legitimately great defensive player. The Sixers have not had a great defensive center behind Jarrell. We kind of hoped Dwight would be that, but he's past his prime. We kind of hoped Al would provide that. Was not what we uh, got. But Drummond has been like truly a great defensive player. As you said, that wasn't always the case in like Detroit and Cleveland. I think we saw it in flashes. But the thing with him there was that his effort kind of fluctuated and he would just have games where he looked apathetic and he wasn't trying and he wasn't engaged in the game. That has not been the case yet in Philly. He's like out there making pretty smart plays and playing his tail off every night. Um, Part of that's probably Doc Rivers, who he clearly has a close relationship with. Part of that's the fact that I'm sure he wants more than two point four million dollars next season. Um, but like, yeah, no, I was, I wanted to ask you, what do you think, you know, say he's able to, you know, he's playing great right now. Maybe he doesn't keep quite this up, but, but he keeps playing around this level. What, what kind of contract do you think he's looking at? I, I don't know. It's tough because I, I think this is probably like the ideal role for him, right? Like, I, I don't know if you can count on the effort being there for 30, 35 minutes a night, but in 18 minutes a night, he looks great and like his chaos and his ambition as a passer and a scorer and stuff is a lot more palatable when it's in these quick bursts off the bench than it is when he's playing 
long stretches and he's closing every game and he's the guy you're relying on. So I don't know if any team's going to like pay him to come be the star quote unquote again. Like again, he was an all-star like two years ago. He has that pedigree. He's only 28, but I don't know. I, I, I would think he can get at least like the mid level or above that. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and really the mid level is, is very good money right now. Like if you're talking about the full MLE, that's what, like almost $10 million. So yeah, I definitely think he could, he could get there or even a little bit higher. Yeah. But like, the thing is, if he's like starting on a bad team for $10 million a year, I don't think that contract looks nearly as good. I mean, obviously, but like, I, I don't know if he plays to the same level. Um, it, like part of it is Philly's the best team he's ever been on. Really? <laughs> I mean, he's been on a lot of bad teams. He's obviously not starting anymore, but he's on a real contender now for the first time ever, say for the Lakers last season. And that was just a really bad fit, I think. Um, so I, I think that's part of it, too. But let, let's talk about Shake, because speaking of that list, I had him like 13th when I did the list before the season. He's way out playing that right now. Looks improved across the board. Furkan, his shooting numbers haven't quite been there since the first couple of games, but he was playing point guard for like the first five nights and looked pretty good. He's expanded his skill set quite a bit. Looks a lot more solid defensively than he has in years past. Do you buy the growth of those two? Do you think that's legitimate? Do you think they're like taking a leap, so to speak? Or do you think they're going to come back down to earth a bit? I'll start with Furcon and say yes. Um, I love how willing he is to shoot. And I think that's always been there. And even if the if the percentage stays what it has been, I think he's become better in other areas. And and I got hopeful about him from the preseason game against Brooklyn, which I know it sounds silly to say I got hopeful about Furkan from a preseason game, but he looks so confident handling the ball in a way that like, you know, in the past, really every year in the past, besides when Jimmy was here, it was like either Ben is in or there's not a confident ball handler on the floor because you a lot of times couldn't really trust Shake or Maxi uh, last year because, you know, Maxi was a rookie. Shake was really struggling in the year. Um, and they didn't have other ball handlers on the team. And you don't think of Furkan as like a primary ball handler. And ideally, he doesn't have to be that. But just having guys around who can do it, who can like step up when needed and and take that take on that role. Um, and, and just have that skill set if a possession goes bad and you have to figure something out. Like, he looks so good doing it, and I think he has into the regular season. Um, his defense has gotten better every single year. I thought last year he was at the point where he was basically just like a good defender. Um, not a perfect defender, not certain things he's not, he's not great at, and certain guys are just going to be too athletic for him. But he had some steals last year where I was – like legitimately like oh my god was that who was that like how was that Furcon? like i thought that that was like ben or something um where he's he's just gotten better and better he looks even better this year and and i do buy it because i think that when a guy gets better at at things that are not so you know up and down a shooting and and has shown that he's been able to build on on them year to year i have no reason to think that you know this year's growth and this summer's growth weren't legit um for Shake, I really do want to believe it, and I, I don't like. I'm not discounting it at all. But we saw Shake start off 
like amazing last year, like even better than he started off this year, which says something because he started off really well this year too. Um, I don't expect him to kind of struggle as much as he did throughout most of last year. I'm hopeful he can kind of you know, keep this up in some way. And and he looks good. He looks he looks confident going to the rim in a way that he always has at his best and has not at all at his worst. Um, I also think Shake at his best is like a solid passer and probably like one of like with Ben out, like right around one of the best passers on the team and like a fine defender against most guys. So it, I, I'm hopeful for Shake. I, I'm confident with Furcon that, that this is legit. Uh, and with Shake, I'm hopeful because I see a lot in Shake, and I, I always have. And I don't blame you for ranking him where he did because he really was not good to end last year. And it, it wasn't crazy to think that, like, maybe he just has this talent but will always kind of struggle and not really put it together. But he looks really good again to start the year. And, you know, he's still, you know, 25 and – I'm not ready to give up. I mean, he's 25. He should be about getting ready to start entering his prime and, and getting to the point where, like, mentally he's ready to be more consistent in the NBA. That's when guys kind of get to that level. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I am hopeful, and, and I do think he can put it together, and I, I hope he can. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, I agree. As, like, with Furkan, as you said, the shooting's going to get better. I'm not worried about that at all. And he's gotten so much better across the board where it's just hard not to be confident. You mentioned him improving as a like a playmaker and a passer. I think Drummond and Yang both help in that way. Like there are just so many more options offensively where you can kind of not necessarily go to them, but where they just kind of open things up in a way that Mike Scott and Dwight Howard and et cetera just were not last season. With Shake, like he was so good that first season when he got minutes replacing Al. He, he was so good that year. He had all sorts of hype going into last season. The first two weeks of the year, you could have told me he was going to win sixth man of the year, and I would have believed you. And then the bottom sort of fell out. And I think the thing was is that he was just so reliant on making, like, tough perimeter shots, and those shots weren't falling. And when those weren't falling, he couldn't get separation. He couldn't get to the rim, didn't have the explosiveness. But what we've seen out of him this year, he's getting to the rim more. His three looks a lot more confident, um, even if the numbers aren't quite there yet. And as you said, his passing looks really good, as as good as anyone on the team, if not the best on the team. So I he's going to get every opportunity to keep proving himself. The Sixers really need his skill set right now without Ben out there. And yeah, he, he looks good. I'm optimistic, too. I I buy Korkmaz a lot. I, I'm sort of buying Shake right now. Um, I, I don't know if I think he's going to be you know, sixth man of the year candidate type stuff ever, or if he's ever going to get to that level. But that's not, that really isn't a reasonable expectation necessarily. I, I think he's could be a totally fine reserve and play really important minutes for this team. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're on the same page. Uh, but I guess we, we do have to talk about Ben Simmons um, just because it's an obligation at this point. Um, it was reported by ESPN's Ramona Shelburne that he hasn't been communicating with the team about the specifics of his mental readiness. And he is continuing to seek support outside the organization through the Players Association. And the report was that the Sixers are somewhat frustrated by that. Um, Any thoughts on that, Dan? Are you concerned about the situation? And at the end of the day, do you think Ben is going to play again for the Sixers? 
Yeah, I, I, I think I should put it out there that I've, I'm not concerned about the situation, and it's because I don't want Ben to play for the Sixers again. Um, and I, I think, you know, about about a year ago is when I really turned on how I felt about Ben. Um, I, I think I was never really a Ben guy, but there were times where, you know, especially during that Horford year, I was really believing in Ben and believing that, uh, you know, maybe maybe I was wrong to be skeptical of him in some ways. And ever since the start of last season, I have basically been out on Ben as a sixer, as as a player anywhere near worthy of the hype he gets. Um, and I, I know the question wasn't, you know, about this, but I just want to put it out there and be honest. Uh, just yeah. to be honest about, you know, any biases people may say I have about Ben. And it's true, I am, I'm really not a Ben guy. And, and I, I don't want to, you know, pretend that I, that I am. Um, but no, I don't think he plays again for the Sixers. I, I, I don't want to comment on the situation too much publicly. Um, but mostly because I, I think that, um, I think that there's a lot of, I think people like when, when we talk about like, like Ben, you know, talking about, you know, well, he's, you know, dealing with mental health stuff. Um, I think that a lot of people like really relate to that. And for, for mostly that reason, I really don't want to talk about it. And of course, you know, I don't want to like speculate on, on, on something I don't know about, which is like, I don't know Ben personally. I don't know what his mental situation is. Um, and it's not really a topic I want to say too much on other than, you know, the Sixers seem to believe that, you know, with whatever Ben may be going through, based on that Ramona report, I got the sense that the Sixers don't seem to feel that that's why he's not playing basketball for the Sixers. You know what I mean? Which I'm not, when I say that, I want to make it clear, like, I'm not saying Ben is not, you know, going through something or having a tough time, whatever. I This is not anything I could possibly know, and I'm not going to make it my business to speculate but my reading of that report was like, yeah, maybe Ben's going through something, but the Sixers feel like Ben just doesn't want to be a, still doesn't want to be a Sixer regardless. And to say that that's why he's not here, uh, they don't think is is true because they think that like even if he is going through something, even if he weren't, he wouldn't, he doesn't want to be here. And 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 if he's you know seeing someone and and hopefully he's you know starts to you know. I guess get to a point where he doesn't um, whatever is, is giving having giving him you know problems you know with with his mental health and he could hopefully get get better than that get better with that uh, with with regards to that they don't feel he wants to be here anyway which to be fair he has not pretended he wants to be at all um, I don't think the Sixers are are making any of it better by keeping him here and basically holding him hostage uh, so. Um, I don't think that they deserve any any credit there either. I think it's a it's a tough situation that I don't want to say too much on. Besides that, other than I get the sense from without speculating on Ben's mental health and and whatever's happening there at all, I get the sense from the Sixers that when they say they're frustrated with Ben, it's that it's basically just the same thing we've already known, which is that Ben still doesn't want to be here and like Ben might be out because you know of mental health reasons, but that might be the reason he's not playing basketball and not the reason he's not playing basketball for the Sixers. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's a pretty complex issue. Um, yeah, I, I honestly don't have a ton more to add. I think we're on the same page here. I, I think contr- like contrary to you, I was a pretty big Ben Simmons booster for even most of last season. I was like the one guy defending him. So, I, I, I mean, I was like an embarrassing amount of times. Like Doc Rivers is right. He does all these great things. It, I don't know. Didn't age well for me. But, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it's I, I have no there's no reason to doubt that he's not mentally ready. It seems to be what he's been telling the team since June that he just doesn't want to play in Philly, that he can't right now, that he needs a fresh start. Checks out. He's been getting help since the summer checks out i i believe it I, I there's no reason to speculate on it i i there's no reason to come out and say like hey he's faking it so he can get paid that stuff is just ridiculous and insensitive and and just off base in my opinion um and yeah like you said like there's there's been no secret that he doesn't want to play for the sixers i i it's just the state of things that he he wants a trade he does not want to work towards a return that much has been clear the entire summer. There, that's not new information. I, I think it's interesting that he is, according to the Ramona report, been more engaged with teammates recently. I think that uh, pregame meeting a couple, like a week ago, where he talked to Joel and he talked to the team, that seems to have like done something. I think there was legitimate progress made there. It does seem like Daryl's going to play this one out as long as he can. Like I don't think the Sixers are going to trade him anytime soon. Uh, so like if the Sixers can get Ben back on the floor, they're probably going to, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I, don't. I agree. I agree with you that they seem to want to get him back on the floor. And, um, you know, I wouldn't argue that that does seem to be what they want to do. I would argue that, that I think they're wrong. Um, and yeah. whatever whatever game Daryl's playing is, you know, seems to be making Ben miserable, which is is not good. And I don't think the price has gone up at all, which is basically where my criticism of Daryl was throughout the summer, which is like, you know, all the, with all the talk of, you know, if you and you know if you listen to uh, like the national podcast, which I did a lot after after the season ended, just to kind of get a barometer of what the national conversation was around Ben. Um, you know, you listen to Zach Lowe, you listen to Bill Simmons and, and, uh, you know, they have, uh, Bobby Marks on their pod, like whatever, all these guys are saying, yeah, you know, give it time and, you know, people will forget about this and they'll remember, you know, that Ben's a three-time all-star and he's 25 and whatever. And that hasn't happened. And I think part of it is that like, there's just been, there's been this incessant drama to the point where no one's forgotten why we're here because it's dominated the conversation and I do kind of criticize Daryl for that a bit and you know you see some of the things that were offered um you know Malcolm Brogdon can't be traded the rest of the year because he signed an extension and you look how this team has started and you think wow Malcolm Brogdon might look really good on this team I think CJ McCollum might have looked really good on this team before he started playing this great and now I'm not sure why would they trade him for Ben he looks a lot better than Ben right now um you know, Dame is struggling. The team is off to a bad start, but it almost seems like that's more on Dame. I don't see him asking for for CJ to be moved. They're good friends, and CJ's been carrying the team so far. Um, 
And you go through some of the guys that were probably available. None of the guys who were the pipe dreams have become available. And now you're just kind of at this weird spot where like there's nothing to trade them for. There's probably less you could get to help you compete now than there was. And you see the way the team started. And it'd be great to have like another like either wing or like, you know, really good like two, three guy in here to to help this team and and help, you know, ease some of the scoring struggles in the fourth quarter, which I think is still really the only big lasting weakness on this team. Um, and it's it's tough. Like they're just in a weird spot. And and I don't know, like the Sixers are first in the East right now. They were first in the East last year, but I don't see how you assume Ben is going to come back and give the same effort and and be a guy who is going to have positive vibes for this locker room. I mean, Joel was posting about, he made his Instagram caption about the vibes after their win against Chicago. Um, things seem to be going well when they're winning games. Like I get that he's an all-star and, and you ultimately want him there. And Daryl's thinking about, you know, his value in a trade, but just from like a, an enjoyability standpoint and, and, and how this team has been able to like keep it together and, and kind of, rally around the fact that they're that they're down a guy right now but they're not going to worry about it and how good the spacing's looked and the defense doesn't look that bad and the, the passing has not been a problem and like all these things and I watched the team and I, I I'm not excited for him to come back and, and I don't really see the benefit of it I mean what if he comes back and gets hurt now you can't trade him at all it's just like there's so yeah. many things that make me say just like just make a deal and and win with the group you have yeah I mean I I understand Daryl's logic. Like at the core, he is a three-time All-Star. He's 25 with four years on his contract. Like that, that's a very valuable player. He's one of the best defenders on the planet, etc. But like, we have reached the point where it's kind of like, what's the end game? Because as you said, Damian Lillard has made every opportunity. He said he's not leaving Portland. He, he, it's very clear he's not at this point. Beal and Washington are kicking butt right now they're not he's not going to ask out of the wizards anytime soon what what else is out there chicago chicago is good yeah so all the guys who you could have realistically angled for in the offseason they're pretty much off the table there doesn't seem to be any volatile situation right now that makes sense for like a ben simmons trade like we're not trading him for cat if he asks out of minnesota because that doesn't make any sense so I, I really don't know what, how this could get any better. I don't think you're getting those same Ben Simmons back if he does come back. That's been the storyline all summer from everyone around Ben, is that you're just never going to get the same Ben Simmons back. I, I mean, I, I, I say I like empathize with him at the risk of people like coming at my throat. Like, like clearly the, we are here because of a lot of what Ben has done. A lot of this is on Ben and his like personal failures as a player, but like clearly he's miserable and he wants a new team. I, I get it. I, I, it probably sucks to still be around Philly right now. Um, like I, I don't think this is really good for anyone at this point. You know, we are in wait and see mode. Maybe we get proven wrong. Maybe he comes back and bridges are magically mended and he looks good. And, we eat crow, but like right now, I assume they can still get a pretty good trade for him. I don't think they're going to get necessarily pennies on the dollar. Like they can probably still get a couple of really good players and some picks. Like Ben, the trade value doesn't seem to be that low from what we've seen all summer. As you said with the Brogdon stuff, like it seems like they're getting pretty legitimate offers and that Daryl has just been 
totally out in left field asking for like pie in the sky things that are never going to happen because Ben's not as good as every young Cavalier in four picks. That's just not Ben's value. It, it's, it's not. Like, and, 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 and it never will be right. Like that was, that was Ben's value when Ben was 21 and you could not sound ridiculous when you said like, Oh, can you imagine if Scott, this guy added it, added a shot and got the confidence to like, you know, be more aggressive and was, and was shooting and, and everything else you get with him. I mean, this guy could be the next Magic Johnson, the next LeBron. And it was like, okay, that was like something you could say when he was 21 and not on a max deal and, you know, a top five valuable player in the league in terms of trade value, not on court value. Um, that's not who Ben is anymore. And that value is just going, it's not going up, it's going down. I mean, Ben's 25. Um, it, ben is getting to the point where most players would hit their prime, but not because of them adding a major new skill. They would hit their prime because they become smarter on the court and they, uh, you know, develop a better feel for the NBA. And Ben's not on the floor right now, so he's not really doing that. And he's he is asking out of, of a winning situation, which I, I, I don't think is necessarily great for his value. And again, like we are at the point where like it's unrealistic to expect him to get better at certain things, which isn't to say that he sucks or he doesn't have value to any team, but his value is not like a player who's better than him because teams can't expect Ben to get much better than he is now. And so how, I don't understand how you're asking for Lillard, who's, you know, as even he started the year horrible. So you want to drop him down a few spots. Fine. You call him a top 12 player in the NBA. You want to say Paul George passed him. Fine. But he's at worst, you know, in the top dozen of the league. And I don't understand how you're holding out for that for Ben when Ben's a lot closer and fit wise might even be worse for the Sixers than a guy like Brogdon, who you could have had, or a guy like McCollum, who you could have had and fingers crossed, maybe could still yeah. have. And like the whole thing with holding out for Lillard, Ben does not guarantee that you get Lillard if he asks out. Other teams can outbid Ben, like the Pelicans have Brandon Ingram and a crap yeah. ton of picks. And, and, teams... and Lillard could look at how the situation yeah. handled with Ben with Ben wanting a trade and Ben being like clearly not happy to be here and Daryl playing like this crazy long game. And I understand there's pressure from the league and, and if Daryl doesn't want to be, want to seem like he's made a bad trade, whatever. But like, I don't think it's necessarily like a recruiting point that, you know, for a guy to want to come play here, that you have a guy who's like so unhappy with the team that he tried to hold out with four years left on his deal. Yeah. Like the converse of that, as you said, is, a lot of teams are probably looking at it as Ben tanked his team in the playoffs. And then his reaction to that was to ask out. Like, I think it's pretty fair to wonder if Ben is like the leader on a good team. He's probably not like that just doesn't seem to be the case. He's gotten worse offensively since his rookie season. Obviously the defense is absurd and like, yeah, he's still a really good player. I don't want to like gloss over that, but the value is not going to go up. This saga, as it continues to drag out, I, I really don't see any scenario that benefits the Sixers. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I agree. It, it's a complex situation. I kind of, it, it just doesn't feel good for anyone involved right now. And it would be really nice to move on. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't the best 
long-term option, and Daryl has to have the longest view in the room, and you have to maximize Joel's championship window, etc. But, yeah, I mean, the Sixers are 7-2. and two. They're leading the league in three-point shooting, which was the big concern. You lose Ben, are you creating as many threes? So far, yeah, they're creating as many, if not more, and they're making more of them, and the offense looks fine. And as you said, the, the offense defense, looks better. The offense looks yeah, Just better. so much better. And the defense looks pretty good. Joel might win defensive player of the year at this rate. Like, they look fine without him. And I do think there will be shooting regression. I, I don't think they're, quote-unquote, like a better team without Ben out there. But that's assuming Ben comes back as Ben. And that's probably not going to happen. So it doesn't matter if they're a better team with a full strength. And speak- because they're never getting him back. Probably. And, and speaking of and speaking of like the, you know, of Ben's value in terms of, of where it can go from here, you know, right now we're at a point where maybe there's like one or two teams out there who you get lucky and and they're, they're not off to the start they want, but they still believe in themselves and they talk themselves into Ben's series being you know, not really what it was. Oh, it was one pass. They scapegoated him, which is not what happened. But, um, you know, you get team, maybe a team could talk themselves into him, whatever. If he comes back and he plays and he doesn't, he's not really trying that hard and he looks a lot worse because of that, his value is going to drop even further. And teams are going to, more even more teams than already have are going to talk themselves out of him because, all of the recent sample size will be and being really bad. And that'll be over months. And even if he, I think even if he comes back with like a great attitude, which I don't think is that likely, he doesn't want to be here. But even if we, if we give all the benefit of the doubt to these ifs and he comes back and he's feels great, he's going to be rusty for like a month because all these guys are in, in mid season mode and he's going to be playing his preseason. Yeah. I mean, and like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I really don't know what else to say. It, it's not a great situation. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It, it's kind of a bummer at this point. Uh, I like, like even like the Sixers, frankly, should probably be kind of glad that he's not playing. As you said, like he could easily tank his value much more quickly by coming out and stinking up the court like this amiable absence sort of thing that's going on right now is probably helping the Sixers to a certain degree like I I don't think getting him back on the court is necessarily a good thing in the long run there's a pretty strong argument that it's just not so I I I don't know what Daryl's playing at obviously four years on his contract as you said the NBA ownership there's pressure you don't want to like cave in so to speak but even if Ben hadn't requested a trade, all summer people would have been saying, trade Ben, it's time to move on. Like, like even without the trade request, it's probably time yeah, to Yeah, I on. certainly would have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, it, it, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that he's still here past the trade deadline. I mean, I can. It's certainly possible, it seems like. But that just seems so absurd and probably destined for failure to me as as like a mode of operation but uh i guess we'll see what happens <laughs> yeah i mean 
I I agree with you that that I don't think it's like impossible just because Daryl. I, I I'm not going to try to predict what Daryl's going to do. Daryl is too weird for me to ever do that successfully. Yeah, but I mean, I, if anyone is going to do that, it's Daryl. He's the one guy who's I guess bold enough, if you want to say it, to just make this as uncomfortable as possible. But you know, Joel's going to turn 28 before the playoffs start. And he's uh, he's off to a rough start. It's kind of sad to watch, but he'll be fine. I'm not worried about Joel. Um, and you owe it to not just like, of course, to him, but to yourself to try to compete while he's still in his prime. There, we talked about all the other guys on the team looking so much better this year. They're just a better team, like a better all-around team. And you, you're right now. They're first somehow. Somehow, it's official. The Heat lost. They are first in the East. And they owe it to them. Whatever they do, you know, I tend to agree with you that he's probably not here past the deadline. But they owe it to themselves, to Joel, to us as fans to go get a guy who can help them compete this year, who wants to be here, who's going to be here, who doesn't have a huge weakness and can just kind of compliment Joel with his strengths. Um, and I, I hope that they're able to get that done. Yeah. And I mean, like the counterpoint is like, would we be having this conversation if the Sixers were five and five and they looked like crap? Yeah, because you'd want someone to come in and help make the team better. And Ben's not going to do that. So. Uh, I, I agree. It, it's there's really no way around it at this point. It. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but Dan, I, I think we have reached the end of the road here. Um, thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was I love talking Sixers, especially after a big win. It was a good time. Yeah, no, we we'd love to have you on. We'd love to have you on again in the future. Uh, obviously, everyone should go read Dan's work over at Liberty Ballers. They do great stuff there. Listen to his podcast, The Gastroenteritis Blues. Great stuff there as well. And Dan, um, do you want to tell our listeners where they can follow you on social media and stuff? Yeah, I uh, so. <laughs> I don't really have my own Twitter anymore because I just deleted it. Um, but I just have I just have our podcast Twitter now. So if you follow at Gastro Blues Pod, it'll just be my random Sixers thoughts, which is just the same thing my old account was. But now I'm just growing our pod. So uh, it's really just me. And you can follow me there and, and check us out there. We'd appreciate it. All right. Yeah, I suggest that everyone does that. And to all our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. To yet another episode of the Six of Sense podcast, please like, subscribe, follow along, give us five stars, leave a review, all that stuff. It would really help us out. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, or on our website, thesixofsense.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Six of Sense. Until next time, go Sixers. We'll talk to you then. Uh, thanks, everyone. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.